Greetings, one and all. We are back and better than ever as we extend into the wonderful world of leadership through the Leadership Conversation. What is TLC? Well, I'm so glad that you asked. It's the podcast series from the Center for Leadership and Character at William Woods University that aims to answer the critical ethical questions facing leadership that our world needs us to answer most. I am Tony Andonaro, Executive Director for the Center for Leadership and Character and Chief Advancement Officer at this fine university. And I get the privilege of being your host on this dynamic deluge of dialogue. As always, I'm joined today by my trusty graduate assistants, Kayla Daniels. Hey, everyone. Allie Mahoney. Hello. And Cassie Phillips. Hello. So now that we have a perspective for our pathway to promise that will ultimately inform the leadership journey for our listeners, let's go to work. Our guest today is someone who wears a lot of hats at this university. And I think that is a direct indication of the value she adds to everyone and everything that she works with. First, she devotes an amazing amount of attention to her students to ensure that they are receiving cutting edge content and strategies connected to the emergent worlds of data analytics and emotionally intelligent leadership. She also devotes countless hours to the development of her faculty within the School of Business and Technology, where she serves as the dean. Further, she is a beacon of light that creates a trajectory for research at our university as the Associate Dean for Research and Scholarship. We are so lucky to have her at the woods as someone who aspires to shape change for the future of learning in business and a student and faculty experience that is second to none. Crew, without further deferment, dilly-dally, or dither, please join me in welcoming the Foundation for Faculty Development, the reagent for research, the accelerator for academic scholarship, the dean for the School of Business and Technology, and associate dean for research and scholarship right here at the beautiful William Woods University campus, the often imitated but never, ever, ever duplicated Dr. Miriam O'Callaghan. Thank you so much. Oh, wow. Miriam, it's so good to have you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. How's life treating you? Awesome. That's good. I'm happy, yeah. Gosh, a lot of change lately, huh? It is, yes. It could be overwhelming, but I'm really excited. <sighs> it's, it's good change. I think that's the thing. So often we talk about how full our plate is, but if we took 17 things off our plate, <laughs> would we really be as happy? And definitely not as excited, so that's <laughs> awesome to hear. Yep. Good stuff. Sorry. All right, let's get right into it. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited about your new role at the University as Dean of School of Business and Technology. And I'm wondering if you could tell our listeners a little bit about what you're most excited about with respect to this role. Well, as I told you, I am excited about a lot of lot of things, actually. But what I'm most excited about is just I love my students. We all love oh. our students. So I'm just excited to be part of their journey. I mean, just think about our college days. If I mm. go back and think about my ago. college days and remember people who inspired, people who did not inspire, yeah. right? So these are such important years of their lives when they're building skills, preparing to become great professionals. So with my team, if I could just make this experience a little better for them, I'll uh. be really happy. So I think that's one thing I'm really, really excited about, to just make a little difference to uh. their overall college experience. I, I love that idea. It's, um, it's, it's incremental improvement that leads to a whole that is marketably different uh-huh. in the future. I love that. Um, James Clear writes about that in his book, Atomic Habits, that if we're uh-huh. 1% better each day and you add up all those percentage points, 
inevitably we get to something really powerful. And so it's so cool that you're doing that with your students and faculty. Um, yeah. Now, along those lines, I also know that with the excitement comes sometimes some challenges. Mm -hmm. And you may see some challenges ahead. But I'm wondering if you could share your perspectives on the biggest challenges facing not only our school of business at William Woods University, but schools of business nationally. Yeah, well, uh, it's a great question, Tony, because ever since I've taken this position, I am thinking along those lines. Mm -hmm. I did my research. I've been in business education for a long time, and I think we're, business schools are struggling overall. It, I'm, I'm not talking about United States only because yeah. uh, I have worked in India. I lived in Australia. I worked there. So the, one of the biggest challenges is actually to meet the industry skill demand. Yes. Because, yes, companies in real, they they are doing something very different. Their, mm -hmm. their skill need and demand is so very different. For example, most companies are just adopting artificial intelligence, sure. right? Their, their strategies are so very different. But business schools, we are still following the traditional syllabus, traditional pedagogies, yeah. traditional teaching methods. So somehow I feel like, you know, industry is also losing faith in us. Like, for example, example, Google. They don't even require college degrees anymore. It's like, you know, if you are a high school graduate and if you can write a program, apply. And there are a lot yeah. of lot of employees at Google uh, that do not have college degrees. So uh, I think that's something business schools need to think about, how to provide education that meet, meets industry demands. You know, that's a really good point. I mean, there's been this shift. I remember, you know, you talked about when, when we went to college back in the day, if I think back to the 90s, it was just a prerequisite. You had, you had to go uh -huh. to higher education in some way, shape, or form, whether that be an associate's degree or beyond. But, but now there's this pivot in the world for workforce development that maybe even excludes higher education. And so that could be providing challenges to schools of business because they're the ones who are meeting the immediate demand of industry Absolutely. out there. Absolutely, yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had not thought about that. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you mentioned it earlier that, that you do the research, and that is one of the things that I love most about you, that your <laughs> research informs your practice. And I'm wondering how you plan to leverage your work in emotionally intel emotional intelligence and leadership research to create a foundation for the practice of leadership within the School of Business and beyond. Well, that's... That's another good question because emotional intelligence, when we use this terminology, and by the way, I took my Mesquite, which is Mayor Soloway Caruso emotional intelligence oh, yeah. test. I took my Mesquite assessment and uh, my score was just above average. And I used really? to think, you know, I'm really emotionally intelligent. I'm smart because I know people. But according to the test, I'm only above average. So huh. that says that, yeah, I still might need some work. But yes, my research on emotional intelligence then actually prepared me to be a good leader because I now understand the value of using compassion. I can empathize with people, but compassion is, is a different level 
of, of I would say, empathy because yeah. compassion is empathy plus action. Yes. So I know the importance of all those things now, and I can use them to make my leadership better because I am able to connect with people much better than I could, <sighs> say, 10 years ago. Because the more I'm, I talk with people, uh, the more awareness I build about people, I'm able to better connect. Uh, all those things that I learned from my research, like conflict management and kind of, you know, mentoring and coaching, power of all those things is something that I think I can really use to make my practice better. And I think I'm already doing it so far because when I um, actually took this position, the first thing I did was to have one-on-one -on -one meetings with yeah. my faculty and uh, I just had a few questions right you know what you aspire to be how can I help you it's just to provide them that safe place where they could just feel that I can trust this person and I can see now we are actually better connected I I am I'm blown away at, at the levels within what you just provided us so we, we talked about emotional intelligence and obviously a foundation for how we can work with others is empathy. So yeah. you nailed that. I mean, I think if, if we have a crisis of apathy in our world, mm -hmm. then the antidote is empathy. You talked about the idea of how we can create a psychologically safe space by making yes. people feel heard and actually taking the time to authentically listen to people. You, you also brought up this idea of intellectual humility, how you're so excited to find out how you can do things better yeah. And so you approach the world and your position with curiosity. I mean, that's Leary at all oh, 2017, all that wonderful stuff. I mean, it's it's like you've layered in all of these critical pieces of literature to do what you need to do. Yeah. And I would like to add one more thing to yeah. this question, because we are talking about emotional intelligence in my research. And I would also like to say that it's not just my research on emotional intelligence that's helping me or that mm. has helped me. It's also my education and management. I never forget that I have a PhD in management. Yes. And I am a strong believer of the fact that if you are not able to manage different aspects of your work and your life, you can not be a good leader mm. it's important for a leader to be a good manager absolutely I I think that is that is so crazy I, I think one of the things and, and and thank God for for our university's vision to do this is most people who get promoted to be a department chair or a, a dean it's because they're particularly good in their area of research or teaching or, or whatever it might be at that institution it's not because they have the skill set to succeed in managing other faculty members and administrative folks and you know creating a trajectory for our students and so you did the work in that and so you've set the foundation for you to be successful and that's awesome thank you ah so cool okay in addition to all those great things that you just talked about, I'm wondering if we could take out your proverbial crystal ball and ask, in three to five years, what will William Woods University School of Business and Technology be known for? Hmm. Okay. So, uh, again, in my one-on-one -on -one meetings with my faculty, yeah. uh, I followed up and I was like, hey, let's work on our values as a team. What do we value? And I wanted to know this because I wanted to create a clear understanding of our purpose, right? Our university has a vision, they have a mission, but I wanted to be clear about our purpose as a school of business and technology team. So we, we you know, worked on uh, or those 
values and I compiled everything together. So now we have four values and our purpose. The values are uh, competence, care, character, creativity. And through those values, we want to accomplish our purpose, which is growth. Growth, I not love in, it. Yeah, growth, not in just terms of quantity. We do want more students, of sure. course, and we want to expand our program and course portfolio. We want to grow in numbers, but I also want us to grow in terms of quality. Absolutely. Because quality, I can never compromise with quality, right? So uh, growing in terms of quantity and quality, and that's what I want us to be known for. Like in entire Missouri, why not entire United States? I want people to know us for our yes. quality. That's where I want to see our school. I mean, uh, it's such a years. neat way to look at that. Yeah. I mean, you're, so you're... You want to grow, but you have these strategic imperatives that help you to grow with with respect to quality. Absolutely. And and I, I think, you know, in our world, not necessarily only in higher education, I think one of the things that we try to do is we try to grow and we say, We'll we'll build or we'll we'll grow and then we'll build it on the back end. Mm-hmm. And you're saying scalability is about understanding the essential infrastructure that allows for quality mm-hmm. while we grow enrollment and all yes. these other things that we need. Yes. That's awesome. I love it. Okay, transitioning a little bit. Your other role at our university is Associate Dean for Research and Scholarship, which is under Academic Affairs and the Provost Office. So your charge is to create something of value that inspires research mm-hmm. across campus. That can be difficult at a small liberal arts teaching focused university. So how are you cultivating that passion and desire to conduct research in our faculty. Hmm. It's interesting, Tony, and I would like to share one thing here. When I joined William Woods University in 2018, I had this serious misconception that because it's a small school, our faculty is not involved in research, no Mm. one cares Mm. about research. And because I was told that too, I, I was like, I heard these things, I'm like, hey, so what's the research uh, scenario here? And people are like, yeah, we are not research university. So I, I would get sometimes you know, demotivated. But uh, when I took this position and when I started talking to people, looking at their work, uh, I learned that we are actually, we are doing research, especially if you see School of uh, Education. The faculty are really, really involved in research and they're producing some good work. So we do have faculty. So my job is not that difficult, I would Mm. say. But my way of motivating people is actually acknowledging what people are already doing. Like I'm talking about School of Education uh, faculty, what I do. So I have this nice, uh, I started this initiative, Scholars in Spotlight. So every semester, yeah, every semester uh, we spotlight or highlight faculty and students who have accomplished something in terms of research and scholarship. We post their pictures on uh, notice boards, sometimes use social media. So yeah, if that way we can inspire each other, right? So learning from each other. And also, you know, uh, I've been working on different professional development sessions in research. So as I said, it's not that hard, but but you're right, because we are small university, Mm -hmm. we don't have those many resources. So sometimes people think, you know, no resources, but I just try to spread the word that research is good for you, not just professionally, it's not just good for William Woods University, but it's good for you personally. Yeah, I I really appreciate what you're doing because it, 
it seems as though there is, and, and, and that's where I got my last question from, the stereotype of small universities, yeah. right? That because they're primarily teaching focused, they don't do a lot of research. But I think what you've articulated is that the narrative is so important mm -hmm. and how we shape perspective for the value added that the research that is being conducted at William Woods is is awesome. Yeah. Because that can be contagious and other people can get motivated to do the research too then. Mm -hmm. That's that's really cool. Yeah. Um, you know, an, an, another thing that I see a lot of um, at small institutions, but also anyone who really cares about teaching, which should be all institutions of higher education, is the idea of SOTL or scholarship of teaching and learning. Mm -hmm. And so where do you see cool opportunities for research that enhances our learning environments and the student experience on our campus? Well, on our campus, Tony, I would say that our faculty on campus, we are doing a lot of awesome things. Mm -hmm. But where, where I see the actual exact opportunity is the outreach. I would say so faculty if we could just go out build connections with real or like organizations and companies and take our students to those organizations and business units just to see how people in real world work. Ugh. So yeah, I, I believe in that. And I think our, some of our faculty have done this before. Just going out, doing some research, that is scholarship in teaching. Yep. Figuring yep. out what is happening in the real world and exposing our students yeah. to those realities of life. It's about making them future ready. Yeah. And I think outreach is where we can really find great opportunities. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's that learning that extends beyond the classroom that can be so powerful. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a really good point. I, I, I love that because it, it shifts my mindset a little mm -hmm. bit. Along those lines, I want to shift gears a little bit away from your positions and talk about you, mm -hmm. if that's okay. Um, we mentioned the idea of narrative and how we, we share that earlier. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how your past has informed what you are currently doing. Yeah, okay. Well, whenever somebody uh, uses this word past with me, mm. I get a little uh, nervous because I uh -oh. don't like sharing my past with a lot oh. of people because it's not very happy place mm. for me. Mm. And uh, I had a very, very difficult past. Mm. Very difficult childhood. Growing up, we were mostly poor, mm -hmm. very limited resources. Uh, I know hunger, I know poverty, mm. and I know how resource restriction limits can hurt you really badly. But oh, I see the positive side of it. It actually prepared me for what I am today because just imagine you don't have resources, but you have ambition. So what yeah. do you do? You find creative ways to achieve your goals, right? So I think my past and those restrictions and limitations have made me a really creative person and a good problem solver. So yeah. everything that was happening in my past was mostly just problems and problems that I'm, I was trying to solve. And it also made me a really resilient person. So situations mm. and things cannot break me that easily anymore. So I think it helps a lot. So I have a follow-up to that. Uh -huh. um, I remember years upon years ago, I was uh, talk talking with a counselor, mm -hmm. and one of the things he shared with me is that resilience can be a double-edged sword. You can make it through the hard times. You can yeah. stay, stay on track. You can persevere. 
but also you might have a tendency to push yourself beyond a space of self-care. And so for, for our listeners or students, for faculty members who are struggling with this, like what's the healthy balance from a resilience standpoint? Well, I would definitely say that focus on your well-being. Mm. I, I don't want my students to face or experience the same thing I, that I did. There are other ways to become stronger in, and resilient. You don't have to face that much of pain. Yeah. So what's important is to focus on mental toughness by, by working hard, pushing yourself a bit, but not too much. Mm-hmm. Because every person has their own specific situation and context, and you know your breaking point. Do not push yourself too hard. Mm-hmm. I had to be pushed because I had no choice, but you have choice. Mm-hmm. And there is nothing more important than your own well-being. And nobody should suffer that much that it could break you. I survived. A lot of people can't. Mm. Okay, so focus on your well-being first. Yeah. Things fall into place. That makes a lot of sense. I, um, I, I appreciate your, your balance between, you know, have work ethic, push, mm-hmm. but not at the sake of self-preservation. No. Um, I have a, a, a colleague who always says the world doesn't need more martyrs because you're not, you're not good to anybody if you're not there anymore. And sure. so I, I really appreciate what you're saying in that. You know, I think one of the beautiful things about you, Miriam, is that um, you've you've had this past that has created the opportunity for you to do amazing things. And you've, you've had these successes with students. You've had these successes with research. You've had validation by the field, but those are all the things that, that, that I see as an external person. I'm wondering from your perspective, if you look at your career, mm-hmm. what are you most proud of? Well, you said it. I'm, I am actually proud of the work that I have done, my research, uh, what I have today, my teaching and everything. But it, you, it's a great question because what I am most proud of is something that a lot of people don't even know about. Mm. It is actually the work that I'm doing uh, with girls and women in India. Ugh. So I'm helping uh, women who are widow, those who do not have financial uh, capacity to raise their family and orphan girls. So I raised some funds two years ago for their scholarships and whatever I can do. I teach extra courses, by the way, just to send them some money over so I could just continue their scholarships. So right now I have three girls. uh, All three of them are orphans. So I'm kind of... uh, I'm just doing my best. I don't like talking about these things in yeah. public because I don't want to people to feel like, you know, I'm just kind of bragging or anything. But I think these things can can inspire other people too. This is the work that I am most proud of because I receive uh, text messages from those girls thanking me and just, Ugh. you know, telling me what their grades are at the end of this year and they're thankful and I'm like, don't thank me. I should thank you that you gave me this opportunity so I could help you. Because, you know, you shouldn't, it's it's not just the giver who who is big or important. Yeah. It's also someone who takes because the taker is giving you the opportunity to give. So it's it's both ways. And I think that work is something that I'm most proud of. And I see their lives changing. And uh, 
I want more people to do that. You, you know, you think about it, we, <laughs> um, we normally contextualize what we're most proud of in the awards and the accolades, and you're contextualizing it within these tremendous transformational relationships that you've established with these women and girls that will ultimately help them to succeed. Yeah. And so their success is your success. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so powerful. Out of curiosity, where, where in India are you doing this work? In Bhopal, where I come oh, from. So Yes, neat. and my sister uh, runs a school, uh, and her school's name is Daffodils uh, Higher Secondary School, and they also run a social welfare society alongside. Oh, my gosh. So this is exactly what they do. So I work sometimes through her and uh, sometimes uh, with it, other people. It's yeah. full, integrated, you know, community hand up. Yeah. It's not a handout, it's a hand up. And oh my gosh, that's so powerful. Geez, I feel like we could talk for about four hours just about <laughs> that project. Maybe yeah. we'll have to have you on again next semester <laughs> to talk through those kinds of things. Okay. Absolutely. So at this point, uh-huh. I would love to transition to the lightning round. Uh, awesome. Okay. So the following questions stem from the questionnaire concept originated by French television personality Bernard Pivot on his show Apostrophes after the Prost questionnaire originated by Dr. Marcel Prost and then popularized by James Lipton mm-hmm. on Inside the Actor's Studio. So, Dr. O'Callaghan, are you ready? Um, I think I am. All right. What is your favorite word? Love. What is your least favorite word? Murder. <laughs> what gets you excited? Um, children. I love it. What turns you off? Boredom. Mm. Mm. What sound or noise do you love? Children laughing. Mm, that's a good one. I love children. Oh, sounds yeah. good. What sound or noise do you hate? Gunshot mm-hmm. or any weapon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Um, a chef. <laughs> I love it. Love cooking. I love it. Mm-hmm. What profession would you absolutely never want to do? Law. Lawyer. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> a lot of lawyer friends. Sorry, crew. Um, as students, faculty, and staff at William Woods and well beyond listen to this podcast, what advice would you provide to the listeners as they embark upon or continue their own leadership journey? Well, that's, uh, again, another very good uh prompt here uh just be very very authentic because i think uh leadership is all about trust right people will follow you if they trust you and people will trust you if you just show them your real self right so here's the thing i tell my students a lot of time that first be good and then be real because if you're a bad person and you're authentic people will hate you yeah. So first of all, build yeah. a good character, right? Build a good character, focus on everything that's, that's good, that's the, you know, socially uh, acceptable and all those attributes, and then be authentic because I think people are smarter than we give them credit for, and they can sense when you are not authentic. So that's, oh. that's something I would like to say. I love it. Dr. O'Callaghan, this has been an absolute pleasure. 
for a slight voice. Oh my gosh, we can't thank you enough for your time and and coming and your amazing work, your perspectives, awesome, awesome, so awesome. Well, thank you very much. All right. Well, from us here at the Leadership Conversation, that's a wrap. Another episode in the books. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode featuring the one and only Dr. Miriam O'Callaghan, Dean of the School of Business and Technology and Associate Dean for Research and Scholarship at William Woods University. We want to thank Miriam for her time, thoughtfulness, and leadership. As we close, it's apropos to note that leadership is about considering how we can think deeply about our context, create foundations to maximize others' potential, and ultimately advance our collective. Miriam stewards this idea each and every day with her tremendous approach to people, priorities, and persistence while creating a tremendous foundation for our faculty and students to learn. We want to thank Miriam for that and thank her for being here. We hope that you've enjoyed this installment of TLC and we hope that you join us again next time. This is Tony and Earl signing off and reminding you that our world is a pretty crazy place that is in desperate need of real leadership. However, our opportunity to lead is predicated on our desire to act and that starts with you. Thanks so much for listening. Take care out there and have a great day.